Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 122 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today we'll be talking all about bone and structural health, and I know this has been a much requested topic in the past, especially with the majority of our listener base as women. Bone loss and osteoporosis and osteopenia are definitely concerns predominantly for women later on in life. So we'll be covering everything from defining what bone actually is to getting into specific symptoms and risk factors for things like osteoporosis, osteopenia, and bone loss in general. We'll also go through dietary and supplemental recommendations, as well as recipes to support your best bone health. Yes, and men don't disconnect yet, and women that aren't in the perimenopausal time frame, because you can support your structural health for recovery from sports injuries or accident or inflammatory processes. So there's definitely something in here for everyone today. We all have bones. <laughs> exactly. And yes, men can see bone loss, you know, just with uh, decreased testosterone status, for example. So it happens to men too. It's just more common, overwhelmingly women affected. So this is for everyone. And for, you know, those of us that are on the younger side or even listeners in their teens, actually, you're in the most optimal time frame for building the majority of your bone. I think it's between ages, what, 18 and 22. I know we'll get there. No, sorry. 12 and 18. Okay. 40 something percent of, of bone. And then, um, you know, I don't know if we have 12 year old listeners, but (laughs) we have mamas of 12 year olds at least. (laughs) Exactly. And then, you know, in your, your younger years before, menopause and all those things hit, there are plenty of things you can do to continue to support bone health ongoing. So we'll be going there and getting into all of it today. And just real quick, before we get into today's meat of the topic, if you will, any announcements, highlights, updates? I'm just trying to think. So we just closed our virtual food as medicine keto class. We had class uh, two two weeks ago. This week is our third class. So if you missed the boat, you can still get our food as medicine program, optimal eating, which is a really great jump point. If you haven't really gotten on track yet for the new year. And also you may consider the 10 day detox and we will be opening registration for the April launch of the 12 week virtual food as medicine program keto program in uh, March. So uh, stay tuned for that and you can sign up and jump in for a spring start. Yes. And if you're wanting to kind of get a head start or start, you know, keto on your own, we do have our um, two keto ebook bundle that comes with our, essentially our protocol and a lot of the really nerdy higher level stuff in ketogenic kickstart. And then we have eat fat, get skinny, which is 50 plus keto friendly recipes. So you can buy that bundle and get started there and be totally prepared and rock in by the time April starts. (laughs) Yes. Totally. Totally. All right. So anything else to announce or shall we get right into it? I'm I'm plugging away at recipe creation for the anti-anxiety diet cookbook. Uh, Becky's been busting out some beautiful photos, so it will be so awesome to share with you guys. I think we're still on schedule for a fall launch of that. So stay tuned. And in a couple weeks from you guys hearing this, we're going to be recording some awesome content and I'm going to be creating a uh, virtual program for managing all things HPA access. So it's kind of going to build off of the content in the anti-anxiety diet, and it's going to have a lot of influencing information on those entry points of the six foundational R's of anti-anxiety. And um, I'll have six videos of cooking demos of recipes that are really essential to 
mellowing out your mood and balancing your hormones and kind of bringing that pendulum swing from, again, that ever reactive HPA axis fight or flight mode to the regulatory functions in the body. And bone health is one of those regulatory processes. So a good connection for today's topic. Awesome. And super excited to have another virtual program that is just such a good entry point for folks who are thinking about working with one of us, but can't get on your schedule or can't afford or don't want to make the investment yet. It's going to be a really amazing way to dig way deeper on topics of functional medicine and and how you can apply the anti-anxiety diet to your life. Right. And a lot more interactive worksheets and all those things. So really applicable to make things happen versus just a passive read. Awesome. So we'll let you guys know when that's live and ready to be enrolled. Um, For now, let's jump into our topic of today with the question, Allie, what exactly is bone? Like what's it made out of? And tell us a little bit about the cells that actually make up our bone. Sure. So first thing to understand is that bone is living, growing tissue, right? (laughs) I think that that's an important thing to be mindful of. Predominantly, its composition is made up of collagen, which is a type of protein that we talk about a lot in the form of like collagen peptides, the use of collagen in many recipes on the blog and use for gut support. But collagen is going to provide the soft framework for our bone. And then calcium Calcium phosphate is going to be the mineral that creates the strength and the hardening around that framework. So it's basically a combination of collagen and calcium. And then we're going to talk today, of course, about things like phosphorus and other of those more trace minerals that play a role in helping to make bones strong, yet flexible enough to withstand stress. And that's a really important process. We want we don't want these re- rigid, hard bones, which we'll talk about as a risk factor for bone fracture. So when we're getting down to the nitty gritty, like let's take our brains back to (laughs) maybe high school anatomy and physiology. Uh, There are four different types of bone cells. So there are osteoprogenerators. These are basically your stem cells of bone and these form your osteoblasts. I remember I'm very into like alliteration so I literally remember in school, like underlining the the B for osteoblast <laughs> and saying like, this is the component of the bone matrix. Um, and the osteoblasts are builders of bone, right? We have osteocytes and these are inactive osteoblasts. They're trapped in mineralized bones. So basically we could think of these as like the bone cells. They're, they're in that matrix of the bone. And then there's osteoclasts. And I remember thinking clast is canceling <laughs> and the osteoclast. Uh, <laughs> See, this is the inner workings like, of Allie's uh, brain. <laughs> I was like clast with the C was like chewing on the bone. I had this like weird visual of like breaking it down by chewing it for some right. reason. <laughs> so yeah, so osteoclasts cancel bone or they erode the mineralized bone. And so they're all, it's, it's about balancing out, right? The activity of your osteoblasts and osteoclasts to have a favorable influence on bone resilience and bone strength. Okay. Awesome. I think that's a good little intro and we don't need to go too much deeper into the anatomical piece of the puzzle. I don't think today. Um, let's talk about what exactly osteoporosis is and just kind of how common it is. So osteoporosis is, like you said, more prevalent in women. Um, And it's actually believed, I believe one in three women will experience some form of an osteoporotic fracture in their lifetime. So that's a pretty high ratio there. And we see the osteoporosis occurring when there's loss of bone mass, which is going to increase the fragility or how fragile the bones are, and that's going to increase the risk of fracture. The areas that we think of that are highest risk, like when people are getting a DEXA scan, the areas that are scored often are going to be the pelvis, wrist, 
scapula and the vertebrae. And uh, literally, osteoporosis means that there's such porous nature in the bone um, that beyond fractures, some people, if you don't have an acute injury like break, some people actually don't know that they have osteoporosis until it gradually builds and they're experiencing the inflammatory pain without maybe an acute break or fracture injury. Sure. And beyond that one and three with actual fractures, I was reading stats more like 50 to 60% of just people over the age of 60 in general, having some degree of osteoporosis that's known. With that Z score, I believe right. it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, then that's what we use to distinguish this osteopenia, right? So osteopenia is a less severe, like a, a pre- uh, condition to osteoporosis. Um, it's associated with bone loss and weakened bones. And, you know, in both case, we look at this bone mineral density and the strength of the bone by that DEXA scan. That's how we would diagnose between the two. But osteopenia typically means that you're on the road towards osteoporosis. Okay. So for the sake of today's podcast, and just to keep things a little bit simple for you guys, we'll kind of be using those terms, osteoporosis, osteopenia interchangeably. And what we're really talking about is bone loss. So all of our recommendations will be focused on bone health, regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, or if there's any known loss at this time. So let's talk about specifically symptoms of osteoporosis. Obviously, breaks and fractures is kind of the the super obvious one. Right. And so with that comes, of course, reduced mobility. Uh, We can see, like I said, inflammation in the sense of actual, well, there are inflammatory processes involved, but actual pain associated. So like bone pain, um, we can have a shift actually in our structure, especially if pelvis is in, is going to be included in, as an influencing factor or vertebrae, we can actually have loss of height, which is pretty wild to imagine. We can have postural impact. So we could, with weakened vertebrae, that's where we get like the, the question mark back in the elderly population. And then because it's such a remarkable inflammatory structural hit, it can actually influence a higher rate of mortality or death in the elderly populations um, because following like a hip fracture or things like this, then we're more prone towards things like bed sores and sepsis and all sorts of gunk that comes with limited mobility. Sure. And then what about risk factors that are going to increase our susceptibility to bone loss and this fragility of our bones later in life? So exercise is like the number one focused impact. In fact, we'll hear, of course, weight-bearing activity um, as a big goal to help to maintain bone health, but lack of exercise or mobility We tend to have a risk factor just with the aging process, especially some of the influencing factors of depleted nutrients with the aging process, changes in hormones with the aging process. And then overall, aside from aging, people that just have imbalanced hormones, right, would be a big thing. Particular drugs of focus uh, like to highlight out the PPIs. So these are like Nexium, Protonix, Omeprazole. These are your heartburn drugs because when they neutral that hydrochloric acid, they are going to play a role in demineralizing the bones and also interfering with the absorption of minerals and nutrients. So we see a high susceptibility to low nutritional status with those drugs. SSRIs, so connecting back full circle to the anti-anxiety diet and the programs, the program that we're developing for the HPA access, if you're able to prevent going on the antidepressant, SSRIs have been shown to have a negative impact on bone density, and that's been pretty clearly established in research. Uh, aromatase inhibitors, so hormone-regulating drugs, especially women that have dealt with breast cancer and are on like tamoxifen and some of these higher-level estrogen um, detoxifying and blocking drugs. Uh, We also see just hormone impact in general with like fertility drugs, anti-seizure drugs, and then steroids like prednisone. So a lot of people use steroids in anti-inflammatory mechanisms dealing with things like maybe 
rheumatoid arthritis or um, other inflammatory conditions like Crohn's disease. And by using that steroid blocker, they're interfering with those bone cells of function. So maybe we could use anti-inflammatory approaches in the first place, like the turmeric uh, and working with an anti-inflammatory diet to both support the bone health and reduce the pain. Um, and then we think of things like severe calorie restriction. We know people, of course, that are dealing with anorexia um, and underweight are going to be higher susceptible. And then the calorie restriction itself means you might have nutrient deficiency, especially we highlight vitamin D, vitamin K, magnesium, phosphorus, and calcium to name kind of the, the top heavy hitters. Sure. And then, you know, just again, going back to building your bone in that young age, a lot of young folks aren't thinking about bone health. So they're like doing things like drinking soda or maybe they're smoking. Um, and yeah. that can add smoking is to injury. And a lot of them, unfortunately, are under really high stress and maybe even doing like crash dieting, unfortunately, again, in like the teenage years. And definitely a lot of them are on oral birth control, which is going to impact hormone balance for sure. Sure. And I know, you know, I wasn't thinking about bone health when I was that age for sure. I um, wasn't either. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's dig deeper and highlight just a couple of these risk factors because obviously there are many, um, and many that we haven't even named, but these are the main ones, um, and things we can incorporate to decrease our risk. So exercise, I know you highlighted as probably the primary recommendation. Let's talk a little bit more about why this matters and why the type of exercise you do matters. Yeah. So both focusing on core and mobility, but the weight bearing is going to have the biggest impact on actually building and supporting bone mass regeneration or bone mass growth or repair. And so that's really important when we're thinking of things like uh, even walking would be considered in this world. We're thinking of, uh, you know, moving around your body weight as the weight resistance, but yoga has been shown in that sense, strength training, absolutely. And then um, we are looking at mobility balance and things, which would be paired with yoga. Um, there's a lot of different like balance plates, balance balls. A lot of practice that you work within your core are going to be really helpful to prevent, especially in the elderly, if we're thinking about like occupational therapy, we're thinking of reducing the chance of fall, right? So actually improving balance is going to impact bone health in that sense to reduce fracture. And then we also look at things like power plates, which are like the vibration platforms that we've seen in studies that about five to upwards of 20 minutes a day are shown to increase the bone mass density. Awesome. And then I know, you know, just kind of within that world, estrogen can play a really big role too in driving this to be a bigger concern in postmenopausal women. So let's connect the dots on kind of hormone balance and why that's such a concern. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I think that that was really one of the big entrance points for HRT and uh, CIRMs or selective estrogen receptor mimickers um, or modulators um, because of this big influx of osteoporosis. So low estrogen levels definitely have an impact because estrogen promotes our bone building osteoblasts activity. So if you're, as your estrogen declines, not only might you deal with hot flushes and vaginal dryness and mood fluctuations, but we're also more susceptible to lacking those cells that help to build bone. Um, so that's definitely a direct big deal. Um, another impact is that estrogen actually inhibits the bone resorption. Um, so there's more osteoclast activity going on there. And, um, we know that that's going to interfere with this whole give and take balance process. Uh, testosterone, as you mentioned earlier, Becky, we see low testosterone decreases bone mass as well. Um, and I don't believe there's as much of a direct hormone impact. It could be because of the muscle mass and, and that influence on structural health. Uh, but that is one that we do see tied with bone mass as well. 
And then progesterone can also play a big role even before estrogen levels start to decline. Um, So it's always important to look at what hormone you may be imbalanced on rather than just shooting in the dark. Um, So you guys know that I'm all about testing and information specific to your body if you're going to use supplement support with an active hormone compound. So, you know, you could, of course, supplement blindly with anti-inflammatories that are natural. You could definitely supplement blindly. We'll talk about calcium supplements and things like that. But before you would by any means use HRT, like whatever the name brand you want to name of your estrogen compound from your doctor, or like a progesterone cream, or guys that are using testosterone gels, we always want to get a baseline assessment. And I like to look at a saliva collection in the Neurohormone Complete or Neurohormone Complete Plus panel that we offer, the plus being for women and the complete just being for men. I'll put definitely a link in the show notes, and you can find out more about that under the My Clinic tab on Allie Miller RD and labs. Awesome. And yes, that lab is one that of all of our labs, we've made all of them available now for non-clients and folks who maybe don't need as much of an in-depth look into things or don't want to pull the trigger and become a client yet. You can now access all of our labs uh, that come with a an email review that'll give you a detailed summary of supplements to bring in diet and lifestyle modifications, et cetera, to really empower you with that information. So definitely check that one out. Um, And I think what's important to highlight here is basically when we're building bone, there's always that building and breakdown relationship, right? With those osteoblasts and osteoclasts. But what happens when we get, you know, further and further out with menopause, especially, and and other lifestyle factors, but estrogen, you're seeing that the breakdown is overtaking that creation of new bone. So Um, the teeter-totter is imbalanced. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So what about specific diet risk factors and things that have actually been linked to bone loss in terms of diet? So sugar is one, and I like that you named um, soda earlier too. Um, And with soda, I get this question actually uh, all the time. And the big things to highlight that I'll talk about in two research studies are the influence of refined sugar and fructose. And, you know, soda, of course, most of it uses high fructose corn syrup. We also want to watch the influencing factor of brown or dark colored sodas, which have phosphoric acid, which are going to impact with the calcium absorption. Um, but I often get asked like, asked like, oh, well, is it bubbly water that does it, right? Do you, I get, and I think that's a pretty common question that people ask because they've been told not to drink soda. It's not necessarily just the carbonation of water. It's the carbonation with the phosphoric acid in the dark color. And then I think compounded with sugars. So, you know, refined sugars, um, there was actually a study done by the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. We'll link it in today's show notes, but they showed a two point, almost 2.5, 2.48 fold <laughs> greater odds of um, fragility um, and fragile uh, bone in people consuming 36 grams or more per day of added sugars um, compared to those that consume less than 15. So that showed a a very strong trend there. Uh, There's another study that we have highlighted in the show notes about specifically fructose and how fructose depletes magnesium. Now, this is really interesting because we've seen in research that fructose also can increase blood pressure, and that would be that connection there, right? Magnesium is a that uh, like a relaxer of our vessels. So magnesium helps to reduce blood pressure. And so we see this high fructose corn syrup and higher amounts of fructose consumption depletes magnesium, which is going to wear away at the bone building nutrients that are needed. We know that magnesium plays a role in bone uh, regulation and balance. And we saw that there's higher amounts of calcification in kidneys with fructose consumption. Um, This study looked at uh, men aged 22 to 40 and found that the high fructose uh, consumption depressed the calcium balance and the magnesium, like I said, um, was off and there was a lot of phosphorus lost in the urine when that was tested as well. 
Got it. And then beyond that, I know that gluten has been, gluten consumption has been associated with osteoporosis as well. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So we've seen this in studies. I think they've only identified specific to those with celiac disease. So this would take the the step a little bit deeper, looking more at like maybe even considering gut integrity or gut damage, right? And inflammatory processes driving bone loss and uh, lack of bone density. And I think that it's broad in the sense of both the fact that gluten drives the inflammatory mechanism of that condition of celiac disease. And that also makes the gut in a inflamed state, which interferes with the absorption of nutrients, right? So that puts us at a nutrient depleted state. But as we've talked in varied episodes, we know that gluten in its consumption is going to interfere with the zonulin and the basically gut junctions that keep the microvilli or the the like finger-like projections that scoot food particles down the gut, they keep those intact as a gut barrier to protect large particles to seep into the bloodstream. So regardless of if you deal with celiac disease and the gluten consumption actually destroys your gut lining, or if the gluten consumption just unlatches those barriers, you're still going to be more susceptible to inflammatory processes and less nutrient absorption because your body responds to gluten like a high pollen day in sense where it gets overburdened with the large food particles and generally fires more chemical mediators of inflammation. Sure. I think this is a really good time actually as we're talking about gut integrity to hear a little word from our sponsor, Bonafide Provisions. Yes. So we were super excited to bring Bonafide Provisions on as our podcast sponsor for today. Um, They make, they're one of the only companies out there that make true bone broth. (laughs) I love like on my Instagram stories, always calling out when I see these products that have like no uh, viscosity to them, no jiggling, right? (laughs) And it's like, I'm sorry, you can't have a therapeutic level of gelatin and collagen if your broth doesn't jiggle. So this means that when you open up a uh, bag of Bonafide Provisions, you're going to see that gel. In fact, they like to say, I, I see on the hashtags used on Instagram, wellness is in the gelness. I think it's ah. super cute. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I always say your bone breath has to pass that jiggle test. And I know from buying their products that it does. So this is often a product that, you know, Allie and I both make our own bone broth, but sometimes, you know, you get busy, that just doesn't happen. You run out of your stores and your freezer unexpectedly. I love that Bonafide Provision is a frozen product that's been frozen fresh. So it has zero preservatives, zero pasteurization, and really easy to use. So yes, bag, you're getting about three to four cups, I believe. Um, So great for sipping on, you know, throughout the week. And I tell clients, try to buy one to two bags for a week per week and get a really good way to like measure consumption too. Yes. And so again, you guys know our love for the nutritional density of bone broth. (laughs) It has glycine, which is going to be very supportive for your stress response. Great for like, if you're dealing with insomnia, need to relax at the end of the day, having a a little sippable mug of bone broth is fantastic. I like to add a little bit of turmeric powder to mine, like a quarter teaspoon or half teaspoon of turmeric powder and two to three teaspoons of fat like ghee and blend that up. And we'll put a link in our show notes because as we said, obviously bone broth is food as medicine for building strong bones. Be that majority of your bones are made up of collagen. (laughs) So consuming bone broth is going to support not only leaky gut, bone health, have a big positive influence on anxiety and stress response. Um, It's a great thing to get in the ritual of doing and Bonafide Provisions brings the real, real. (laughs) So such an important option. You want to look for it in the frozen aisle, like Becky said, and it's at many grocery stores, which I'm super stoked to see Walmart, Publix, Kroger, and then of course, all of your natural grocers like Whole Foods and all of the names are going to have Bonafide Provisions. So you listeners get the opportunity to go online 
to make it even easier, um, show them that you're listening to the podcast and you're giving a little bit of a, a vote in our jar to show them putting in the coupon code Allie Miller RD at checkout lets them know you learned about them through us and it gives you 20% off of your first online order. So stock up, get five, 10 bags, and I'm sure they will do you good. They have an awesome variety also of like turkey. They have a heritage blend. They have a beef broth and a chicken broth, which is awesome if you're doing an elimination diet because sometimes it can be hard to get turkey bones. I've definitely (laughs) come to that bridge. (laughs) And it's nice to be able to switch it up from beef if you don't tolerate chicken, for instance. Sure. Yes. And they also have come out with recently a line of soups as well that have super clean ingredients and are bone broth based. So also awesome, fantastic products. Yes. So you go over to bonafideprovisions.com, add all of the goods to your cart. And when you check out, use the code Allie Miller RD and you will save 20% off. Okay. So we will circle back, I'm sure, and talk a little bit more about bone broth and collagen and all those good things when we talk about food as medicine recommendations. Uh, But as we've said, refined sugar, large amounts of fructose, gluten sound like they can be very problematic for bone health. And I'd probably expand and add, you know, inflammatory foods in general. Um, but I know alternatively, I've heard some rumblings that keto or low carb can be an issue for bone health. And I just want to address this and kind of nip that in the bud. Those rumblings. I know. <laughs> So yes, um, I would say myth, (laughs) a low carb um, diet, especially a ketogenic diet will have an impact on the body excreting calcium out of the bone and that's going to deal or drive osteoporosis. Well, it's first important to identify that the ketogenic diet, a nutritional ketogenic diet is not a high protein diet. And it's also not ketoacidosis, okay? So these are two things to be very clear about. We do see that high-protein diets, yes, can be hard on the kidneys. We do see that high-protein diets, yes, may have unfavorable demineralizing impact on bone. The ketogenic diet, however, is not a high-protein diet. It is a high-fat, moderate-protein diet. And we've seen in studies that a high-fat, moderate-protein diet can actually have favorable impact. One of the mechanisms may be that the ketogenic diet is muscle-sparing, so that's going to support in itself structural health and integrity. And probably, like you identified, if you're doing a food-as-medicine real food keto approach, right? You're also going to be pairing in anti-inflammatory support in your diet and then definitely doing away with the uh, fructose, refined sugars, gluten, and other inflammatory unmentioned foods like soy and corn, which might interfere with hormone balance or have high omega-6s that that throw off our inflammation. Awesome. So I think we can just kind of put that (laughs) to bed. And I know the pH argument is another piece of this puzzle that, that you know, you're acidic and ketoacidosis. And that's, that would be the other thing to highlight, right? So yes, if you're in a state of ketoacidosis, um, which is not possible with a nutritional ketosis protocol, uh, this would be uncontrolled blood sugar levels and skyrocketing amounts of ketones in the bloodstream where the pH actually does get acidic in the body? Absolutely. Ketoacidosis is not healthy for the bone um, and the kidneys for that fact, but uh, very different from nutritional ketosis or a low-carbohydrate diet. Yes. And I know there are some studies out there that even show that a ketogenic or low carb diet can promote uh, bone health. And we don't see any, you know, reduction of bone strength. So I'll make sure that we link to some of those in the show notes as well, in case you have to defend your diet to your friends or Jillian Michaels or whoever (laughs) it is. (laughs) We'll get over her. Don't worry, guys. I know, right? Unless she strikes again, which she probably will. Or if, or if Dr. Oz, are you listening, uh, invites us both on the show for a debate. Yes. Yes. Then I will do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we'll come back in a second to nutrient deficiency as a driver of osteoporosis because I know that's a huge puzzle piece. But I want to talk first about some of the conventional treatments 
of osteoporosis and bone loss and the concerns with pharmaceuticals out there like Fosamax. Yeah. So bisphosphates um, is the class of these drugs, right? So uh, Fosamax, Bona, these are some of the, the popular brands, if you will. They uh, their, their mechanism is to try to eliminate the bone remodeling process. So of course, interfering with those osteoclasts, right? Um, and so the side effects though with these drugs can include a lot of digestive distress from constipation to abdominal pain and cramping, nausea, vomiting. Um, we do see, uh, some esophageal influence of like, uh, esophagitis actually, actually getting inflammatory conditions and also dysphagia, difficulty swallowing. Um, so that's definitely concerning. We see uh, pain in the muscles, joints, and bone. <laughs> Not desirable if you're dealing with a bone influence to begin with. Um, and even esophageal cancer, which I didn't mention earlier with that esophageal type thing. So um, not sure that the cost to benefit ratio is, is favorable with the, the bisphosphates. The other class of drugs that may be discussed with your doctor are these, I mentioned SERMs. So these modulate the influence of estrogen in the body. Um, and I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this one right, but uh, ralofoxacin, Raloxifene, I believe is the name of it, raloxifene. And um, basically what they do is they function as like, a, like, you know, hormones are lock and key, right? So you have the receptor and you have the hormone. So these hormones actually try to work as estrogen, if you will. And what they do is they also inhibit the bone resorption or the function of the osteoclasts. Um, the issue is that we can get excess estrogen expression in the body. Um, so we can have risk for blood clots, which would be a huge risk for like stroke, DVT, pulmonary embolism. These have all been reported as side effects. Also kind of a big deal be that cardiovascular conditions are a higher mortality rate, right? As far as the, the disease pathology. And then just the undesired side effects of like hot flashes, sleep disturbances, and so forth. Then there is HRT, actually, instead of using a modulator or like a blockade for the hormone or a, a lock and key mechanism, we can actually use synthetic HRT or biological. The issue with synthetic HRT and not testing um, would be estrogen dominance, right? So then that can be driving us towards an increased risk of estrogen-related cancers. Um, we can see an imbalance with calcium retention in soft tissues if we're uh, using HRT that isn't managed or moderate moderated or adjusted based on where the body's at. Um, and the calcification of soft tissues can be in organs, but also in the vascular system again. And this is what can lead us towards higher risk of stroke or heart attack. And um, there's some concept that elevated estrogen may also interfere with our insulin receptors, driving insulin resistance, and then you know elevated blood sugar levels and prediabetes and diabetes. Um, and then the last drug that I'll, I'll hit on is um, calcitonin. So this is more with like how the parathyroid and thyroid work to regulate our calcium in the body. So this plays a role at slowing the rate of bone loss, um, but it's been seen less effective in preventing fractures, um, no influencing factor there. And there are also GI-related side effects from nausea, vomiting, to loss of appetite, um, dermatological flares like skin rashing, increased urination, and then edema or fluid retention and swelling. Okay. So from all of those different classes of therapies, it sounds like there's a whole heck of a lot of unfavorable, undesirable, and dangerous side yeah, effects. That would be a good word because, right, a lot of them drive cancer as a risk factor uh -huh. and heart disease, which are both higher driver, again, towards risk of, you know, dying. Sure. So, yeah. Kind of. <laughs> Not good. Kind of a big, <laughs> don't die. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. So let's talk about instead ways that we can get ahead of and even mitigate some of the bone loss using nutritional supplementation and diet. So let's talk first about specific vitamins and minerals that have essential roles in bone health. So yeah, I think that one that would be, you know, maybe not mind blowing to you guys is vitamin D. 
Um, but maybe the mechanisms are unknown. Remember what's really cool about vitamin D is it's actually a hormone. So it, it works by promoting the calcium and phosphorus absorption from our intestines. And, uh, you know, we've talked a couple times in podcasts. I think we had an episode, the last one on micronutrients where we highlighted vitamin K, but I'm a huge proponent of, you know, looking for a balance with your vitamin D to pair with your vitamin K um, because we know that vitamin K plays a role in moving the calcium to the targeted tissues of the body. So moving the calcium into the bones and the teeth. And this is going to also help with removing calcification from tissues that it doesn't belong, like our arteries and our soft tissues, which would then drive us towards disease or even things like, of course, heart disease in that sense, or even things like kidney stones. So we never want you to just take 5,000 IUs of vitamin D naked. I'll say that again, or 2,000 or whatever it is. Don't just take vitamin D on its own. Um, so when you're looking at vitamin D in a supplemental form, you want to look at my naturally nourished vitamin D balanced blend, which has the correct ratio of vitamin D with vitamin K so that as you're absorbing that calcium in the intestines, it's being uh, distributed appropriately. I'm glad you mentioned the ratio to Allie, because I see a lot of supplements out there where it'll be like a, you know, 1% the amount of vitamin K or something like that. And it's a 10 to one ratio, correct? That's right. So you want to look at a 10 to one ratio. And um, it's also important to consider that I like to recommend taking your vitamin D because it is fat soluble. I like to recommend taking that supplement um, with a meal that has fat, ideally all your meals should have fat, but, <laughs> um, you want to take that like after breakfast or, you know, it could be midday or even with your dinner, but a meal that has fat, it's going to get more bioavailable in your body or more absorbed. And, um, you want to look at the vitamin K distributed from also including a little bit of the, uh, K, um, K two seven, um, the MK seven, uh, which is the vitamin K two, um, that has uh, about 50 micrograms in our formula, and then the K1 is 500. So it's 55 micrograms of the K with 5,000 IUs of the D in one capsule. Okay, awesome. And then what about some maybe lesser known vitamins and minerals? Obviously, we'll talk about calcium too. That's pretty well known, but it's common. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so vitamin C might be a surprise to some people. And, you know, the connection there is that vitamin C plays an integral role in collagen formation. So remember that bone is predominantly comprised of collagen. And so uh, vitamin C would be very supportive to also maintain like the elasticity in the tissue. We think of that as like vitamin C serums <laughs> on our face to keep our skin supple for collagen formation. But ample vitamin C in the diet is going to also support collagen formation in the bone. Um, so that would be a big one to look for. And then the minerals, the top three minerals, no way to debate would be calcium, phosphorus, and magnesium. And these are the three nutrients that are required in combination to form this bone matrix, right? It's this crystalline mineral matrix within the collagen. And that's what creates, again, the hardness and the strength of the bone. And then manganese beyond magnesium is a cofactor in that process. Okay. Awesome. And then even like boron, which we don't really talk about, you know, very often, um, plays a role as well. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. And then let's talk calcium supplementation and, um, kind of best recommendations of type of calcium. Cause I think this is something that's really often overlooked, um, or we're like picking up a CVS brand, calcium because, you know, we know we're of the age where we're going to start to see risk factors or risk going up. Um, what form of calcium should we be looking at and why is calcium so important? Yeah. So every form of a calcium supplement and a lot of them out there, like you'll, you'll think of like 
calcium citrate, calcium carbonate, uh, calcium lactate, right? They're all going to have different rates of absorption and different percents of elemental calcium. The concern of taking any of those forms of calcium in a supplement, especially if it's a daily wellness supplement, is we can see, again, higher susceptibility of calcification of our arteries, higher risk towards kidney stones, and then even potentially some GI distress. Uh, So we want to look at, again, pairing when we take calcium with that vitamin D balanced blend. But the type of calcium that I recommend is called MCHC. And this is microcrystalline hydroxycalapatite. <laughs> and this is a form that is derived from whole bone and is the most bioavailable form of calcium source that's been studied for over 30 years, yet is not widely talked about because there is patenting involved in this MCHC form. Um, so our osteofactors, which is our bone building formula, um, combine con- contains, excuse me, the MCHC, and that's going to have the calcium and the phosphorus as well as trace amounts of all of the minerals, as well as bone growth factors, collagen, and other vital bone proteins in that MCHC because it is the concentrate itself. Okay. Gotcha. So if that makes sense, like it's actually from bovine grass-fed beef, bone. And it's um, going to be broken down to provide three full grams of this MCHC. And in three tablets, that's going to give you 1,000 milligrams of calcium, which is generally the recommendation amount for people that are dealing with osteopenia or osteoporosis. Now, if you're preceding that, you would do fine with just about one to two a day, depending on what your diet looks like. Sure. And then pairing that with the vitamin D balanced blend would aid in utilization and then prevent that calcification of soft tissue. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then what about other, beyond the vitamin D balanced blend and the osteofactors, what about other supplement recommendations for hitting some of those, again, kind of lesser known like magnesium and um, some of the minerals that we're probably not going to run out and supplement with on their own? Yeah. So one big one I would say for sure is just a quality multivitamin, right? So the multi-defense is going to have that manganese, a lot of those trace minerals. Um, So that would be a really good, and everything in their most bioavailable form. Um, So that would be a really good insurance policy, as I always like to call it, for your diet. And really everyone should be on a quality multi. Um, And then the other one beyond the osteofactors and vitamin D balance blend would be the relax and regulate. Um, so of course that's, I always speak to that as my favorite magnesium, it's magnesium bisglycinate, which means that it has the biggest influencing factor on our neuromuscular function, meaning it releases the tension that we hold in our shoulders, the clenching in our jaw, which might help with our calcium in our teeth because we're not grinding them. Um, so I think that that would be another good one to layer on with this protocol. Awesome. And then, you know, just for kind of general wellness and healthy aging process, I think a micronutrient panel is a really good recommendation, whether or not you have known bone loss, but if you're going through any kind of major life change or shift, a change like menopause, and honestly, this is a panel we recommend once a year, just kind of as a general wellness check. And this could help you to get ahead of some trends of nutrient deficiencies that could be driving or setting you up for bone loss in the future. Absolutely. I think that that's a great one. You and I both like to nerd out on (laughs) what our body's telling us. And then we use that to kind of recalibrate our annual, I I recalibrate my supplements probably semi-annually, but I really take that into account with diet strategy and supplementation tweaks, especially when we're getting really targeted or biohacking our bodies. (laughs) Sure. Um, And then what about food as medicine for bone health? So let's tie in some of these nutrients of focus and talk about some of the best food sources and best foods to support our bone health. So starting with dairy and yeah, I know, um, the whole recommendation of drinking glasses upon glasses of milk. (laughs) Hopefully we've kind of thrown that one out by now, Uh, but raw cultured dairy would be something we'd recommend. 
For sure. And you get a two for one there because if you're getting uh, cultures, you're going to be feeding the gut with probiotics and vitamin K is made in the colon based on bacteria population, both biotin and vitamin K. Um, So you're definitely going to be getting a boost of vitamin K. Um, Actually, you get K2 in raw aged cheeses as well. Um, So like a good quality pasture raised Gouda that's raw aged would be a great thing. That's going to have also that that calcium in there. And then um, we're going to be getting a good amount of even all of the bone matrix, phosphorus, magnesium, and D in a good quality raw aged cheese, kefir, or yogurt. So that would definitely be one that I'd say considering. And then if you're not doing dairy, um, you would be able to do any form of a probiotic food is still going to support that K. Um, So fermented foods like kimchi and sauerkraut, pickled vegetables, uh, those would all be great things to add into your diet to support your microbiome to make that vitamin K, which again helps with the distribution and delivery of calcium in the body. Awesome. And then bone broth was one we talked about, but let's just highlight some of the amino acids of function and kind of the whys. Yeah. So I think I hit glycine, which is a really good um, anti-anxiety nutrient. That's again, our magnesium bisglycinate in the relax and regulate has that glycine in there. Um, But glycine can really help with relaxation, sleep, Uh, It also is going to help to balance out methionine, which is a more pro-inflammatory amino acid. So if we're doing a higher protein diet, maybe we're doing like a keto carnivore thing as as a gut reset, we definitely want to make sure we're sipping on that bone broth and eating organs and skins to get of ourselves that glycine and proline um, to support out that methionine, which can drive more inflammatory process in the body. And then we also are looking at uh, the collagen itself, as we said, to actually create the, the composition majority of what the bone is is made up of. And um, we when it's giving us that nice gelatin or getting a nice oopy goopy delivery along the gut. And um, it also is going to have L-glutamine in it, which is a fuel source and a building block for our gut cells. So it's going to repair that leaky gut, which means that we absorb more nutrients across the board. Awesome. And then beyond bone broth, looking at a high quality pasture raised collagen and or gelatin um, to add in, you know, just stirring in like the further food collagen sticks into a hot coffee or even like an iced tea or something to kind of ramp up your collagen intake and doing like gelatin, fruited gelatin gummies, or even um, using their gelatin to thicken a sauce would be other great ways to support bone. Absolutely. And, you know, we both like to use those culinarily right beyond the the common. We, we both like to make gelatin and gummies and such. And I love to do that for Stella as a great way to give her nutrient density. And, um, you know, she's pretty low. She's definitely under like the pediatric recommendations of calcium intake mm-hmm. because she doesn't drink any milk. Um, but she occasionally does, like I said, the raw aged cheese and the, and the yogurt. Um, but I feel really confident with the amount of gelatin and collagen she gets in that we are more than a okay. And then of course she chews my, my multi avail kids. So that's helpful yes. too. And she also eats a ton of salmon. And I know wild caught fish is a big recommendation as well. Especially if you're able to do like the canned traditional. Um, we should put a link in today's episode of uh, Vital Choice um, because they're one of the only companies I know out there that does the traditional canned salmon. That's what I get at home. And it is bone in, skin on. And it may freak you out when you first open the can and you see those tiny little bones in there. But they're the way that it's pressure cooked in the can, um, they completely mash with a fork. Um, and that's just like you're getting this MCHC, right? So you're actually getting the, the crystallized bone matrix. You're eating bone, essentially. <laughs> so that's going to be the most bioavailable form of calcium. And you're going to be getting all of the other bone growth supporting nutrients in its matrix. Um, so definitely wild-caught fish beyond fish that have the bone intact, um, like herring, mackerel, tuna, sardines would be another bone example for sure, um, are going to be a great source of those omega-3 fatty acids. And those definitely help to support our bone health and reduce the inflammatory processes of those osteoclasts. 
Awesome. And then for minerals, I think sea vegetables would be a really good recommendation as well. Yeah. I love incorporating like seaweed shakers, like dulse flakes. Um, I incorporate those with like my Himalayan salt or red, Redmond real salt, um, Celtic sea salt anyway. Um, but that's going to add a lot of mineral density and then doing like sheets of nori and, uh, doing really simple seaweed wrap ups, um, where I just will do like locks. So you get a two for one, right? You get your locks, um, your cold smoked salmon, layer that in there with some avocado slices and, um, you may put like a fun aioli in there. Um, and that works really nice for just a a quick adult lunchable as I like to call them. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. And then I think the last couple nuts would be a big recommendation again for that magnesium and, um, B6 as well, but especially some of those minerals, so manganese and things of that nature. Yeah. And I would watch out for, so, uh, pistachios, almonds, these are all great choices, but I would watch out for many of the store-bought almond milks, right? Which say that they have, um, at least 40% of your daily calcium because they're adding, usually it's calcium carbonate or one of the cheaper forms of, you know, we always talk about this, watch out for fortified foods, right? Um, fortified foods are going to, and, and they have to do that. It's actually a like natural national law. Um, there are some companies that don't do this, but often for it to be called a milk, there's like some trick. And so I think that if you look at like Malk, which is a clean brand of almond milk, I think it's called a plant-based beverage. It's not called uh, almond milk. Uh, it's a legal thing. Yeah. Because to use, to use the word milk, it's like a labeling, right? To use the word milk, you have to provide blah, blah, blah percent of calcium. So almond milk or fill in the blank milk, if they have that on the label, are going to um, be using synthetic fortification. And that is the type of calcium that's more prone to creating that calcification of soft tissues. Um, So especially like if your kiddos aren't doing dairy and that's absolutely fine, really invest in a good quality nut milk where the only ingredients are almonds, water, and Himalayan salt, (laughs) and or use our recipes on the blog to make your own nut milks if that's what you choose to do. Yes. I know we have a good cashew milk recipe on the blog. And then, yeah, Malk is a brand. I believe it's available. I think national now. Yeah. Uh, Started in in Texas, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last food as medicine um, that I would call out is uh, eggs, actually. Um, So eggs have a decent amount of calcium. uh, I think it's like 10%. No, not even. uh, Decent amount of calcium in the egg. And they are a rich source of vitamin D in that yolk. Um, And actually, I have used in past – I haven't done this in years. I'm just thinking out loud – um, egg shells. I have, uh, right. Is that like a vegan thing? Why do we do that? I don't know. (laughs) It's like a hippie thing, I think. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. But I have, uh, ground those in past, um, but I can't attest to that at this point. (laughs) Haven't done enough research. I think that was one of the woo woo things. Yeah. I think that's hippie dippy. I don't know. You don't have to eat the shells guys, but (laughs) pasture raised egg yolks and you'll get a really good source of vitamin D at least. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. So, so many good recommendations of food to incorporate. What about tying this together with a couple of recipe favorites? Um, I have the Mediterranean tuna salad for me always comes to mind just because it's so tasty and so easy. And you could use, you know, instead of the canned tuna, which will, um, be a good source of some of those nutrients we talked about, but won't have like the tiny bones in it. You could even sub out like the canned salmon or something into that same salad recipe. Absolutely. Or add in some chopped uh, sardines, um, which would be great kind of umami savory, like with the olives in there and everything kind of briny as it is. You could still use like the skipjack and then add in some chopped sardines. Um, And I was thinking too, on on that recipe, um, we have it pictured stuffed in an avocado, but you could also kind of like smash all that up and roll it in a nori yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and get the sea vegetable as well. And, um, I, I love the wild salmon dip, um, that does use the, um, the salmon canned, which is awesome and fantastic has a little bit of like a spice kick to it. So really good with like a vegetable crudite as a dipper and then um, the grilled Caesar yum with the homemade dressing and um, which uses egg in there and anchovies. 
Yes. So good. So, so good. And such a fun like thing to throw together with a grass-fed steak or something of that nature. But I need to get myself on like the small fish. <laughs> I know. Small stink- I can't. My husband loves them. Me He's neither. Korean and he loves like anchovies, sardines. And I just can't wrap my brain around unless they're in, if they're in something or like anchovies on a gluten-free pizza, I could probably do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can do anchovies in a Caesar, but yeah. that's it. I'm, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. But I'm good with the bone and um, canned salmon. So I'll be sure to definitely link that as a resource for you guys. Um, and, you know, just get a couple cans and do one every other week. And that'll help to start to, to get you on, on the process. Awesome. So we've covered so much good information today and somehow kept it like just under an hour, you guys. Um, I think we deserve a five-star review just for that. But um, (laughs) if you've liked what you've heard today um, and enjoyed this episode, um, please hop on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review for our podcast so that we can continue to get this information into the hands of more and more listeners like you. Absolutely. Thank you again for listening and sharing with the food as medicine movement. As always, you can uh, go on over to AllieMillerRD.com. That's where you can click shop and uh, you can explore the virtual programs and classes that I offer, as well as the naturally nourished supplement line with today's highlights. And on there, you can click blog and explore all of the recipes we've noted, as well as use the search bar and put in some terms like gelatin and find gummies and all the fun things to support your food as medicine journey. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.